righty. Well, we are in week three of our series, Joyful. And this morning, we're headed back to James chapter one, where we hope to finish out the chapter this morning. And so head that way to James chapter one. In our first message, we took the theme uh, from verse number two, count it all joy. And then in week two, we talked about the crown of life. Uh, I was actually blown away by how God brought us a real-life application of what we've covered so far. Last Sunday, we had Stephen and Irina with us from Ukraine, and, and the words that we've been studying in James chapter 1 came to life, uh, to the point where he talked about the crown of life being the greatest opportunity that we're given by God. And we don't often see trials and difficulties as gifts from God, but they are. And God, uh, he talked about last week, has been purifying the church in Ukraine through these severe circumstances. God is raising up some valiant kingdom soldiers right now in Ukraine and other places in the world through, through testing and persecution. And I'm afraid that here in America, we have very few Christian warriors and a whole lot of Christian wimps uh, who practice a very casual and convenient Christianity. And sadly, it's, it's like that in almost every Bible-believing church in our nation. But God has a way of continuing develop, to develop his children, and God's not done with us. He hasn't given up on us. He's still molding and shaping us. Uh, the hard thing is, as we're going to see this morning, most of the time, in fact, almost all the time, he shapes us through trials. He shapes us through testing. He shapes us through persecution. And so this morning, we're going to James chapter 1. Today, we're going to cover uh, verses 17 through 27. And our topic for today is pure religion. Now, just a couple quick reminders as you're turning in your Bibles uh, this afternoon at 4 o'clock, we have Next Step classes, class 101 and 301, and you can still come. If you haven't registered or confirmed that, please let us know so they know how many to provide for at the meal, and we know how many packets to print. But you can come, class 101 is an introduction to Centennial Baptist Church, uh, who we are, what we believe, why we believe it, and we provide a meal halfway through uh, tonight, and then we finish out after dinner. Uh, we'd love for you to come. Child care is also provided, and uh, we're doing class 101, and class 301 is a class on finding out how God has made you for ministry. Every person has been shaped in a unique way to be used by God. I also mentioned next Sunday morning, a memorial breakfast out in the gym at 930, and there's no first hour classes next week. All right, James 1, verse number 17. Follow along with me as I read it out loud. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. And cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. Of his own will begat he us with the word of truth, that we should be a kind of firstfruits of his creatures. Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. For the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. 
Wherefore, lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness and receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your souls. But be ye doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. For if any man be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like unto a man beholding his natural face in a glass. For he beholdeth himself and goeth his way and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the word, uh, doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. If any man among you seem to be religious and bridleth not his tongue, but deceiveth his own heart, this man's religion is vain. Pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this. To visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction and to keep himself unspotted from the world. Now this morning we're going to be reminded uh, that the process of testing leads us to live out God's ultimate purpose. And that's where the blessings are. You will never be more fulfilled in life than when you live out what God has made you to do. And we will see four parts in this passage here this morning the notes are provided in your bulletin if you'd like to follow along. They're also on the YouVersion app. And first, let's talk about recognizing God's gifts. Recognizing God's gifts. And we saw a couple weeks ago in verse 13 uh, that some people blame God during tests and temptations. They, they blame God. They say, God is the one who brought this on me. And verse 16 reminds us, that we're in error when we do that. God doesn't ever give us his gifts with an evil motive. And that's where this next statement in verse 17 and 18 takes us. Did you catch that in verse 17? Every good and every perfect gift is from above. And that God gave us these gifts, verse 18, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Uh, see, we don't deserve God's process of perfection in our lives. Uh, and God is certainly not obligated to offer it. And yet he freely does. So that we might be purified as special helpers for his purpose. Now, we owe the beginning of our spiritual life and every day of development after that to God. He only desires good plans and blessings for our lives. And the trine of our faith is one of God's gifts to us. Uh, but only those who are maturing in faith have that perspective. And, and so uh, not many people have the perspective where they say, you know what? This is a gift from God. Uh, when they're going through a trial, when you're in the middle of a trial and you all of a sudden stop and say, hey, everybody, let's just pray and thank God for this trial, right? That doesn't happen very often. It just doesn't, right? We complain. We, we post about it on social media about how horrible life is right now. And it, instead of, you know, kind of maybe just stopping for a second and saying, I wonder why God brought this into my life. I wonder why God is allowing this to happen to me right now. Right? That's a, that's a huge perspective. That's a perspective of maturity. And it, I guarantee you this, 
every time you go through anything in your life, you know who wants you to grow out of it? God does. God is giving you an opportunity for growth no matter what you're going through. And so you can always thank him for the perfect gift of his molding and shaping of your life. And say, God, I just thank you for that. That's a blessing to me. Now, like I said, in real time, that's tough to do. Right? In real time, you just, what in the world? What's, what's happening right now? Um, Friday night, Amy and I were flying back from uh, a work trip and we were in Minneapolis and we we're headed for our gate for our last flight. Get home, Friday night light, go to bed, you know, have the day of, to kind of rest up a little bit. And we get down to our gate and there's just mad scramble at our gate. And, it, and I stepped to the gate just as I heard the guy at the counter say, and the flight to Boise has been canceled. Yeah, at that moment in time, I did not thank God. I just have to confess, I didn't thank God. I should have. I should have stopped right then and said, God, I thank you that you've given me this opportunity, right? That's the perspective. That's how we're supposed to do it. Uh, but there's a pilot shortage and mechanical error and whatever. So uh, we ended up getting on the same flight last night, and we got home uh, to our house like at 1230 this morning. And so it wasn't how we planned it. It's how God planned it. And we can thank him for it. He molds us and shapes us. And it, God uses us in unique ways that way. Now I want to go down to verse number 19. And let's talk about this second area, receiving God's guidance. Receiving God's guidance. And look what he says. Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. And then there is a saying right after it that just blows everybody away. For the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. Ouch. That's a rough one. Now, as we look at this, here, here's what we have to realize is we receive God's guidance in this second part of the message. If we have a negative attitude toward the proving process that God designs us for and get, God puts into our lives, then we miss out on the important instructions and experiences that he would use to shape us for his glory. And, and so God gives us some tips. As you're going through a trial... Here are the big three. Be swift to hear. Right? Be swift to hear. Be ready to hear. Open your ears. Desire to hear. Yeah, and hear the first time when God speaks to you. Be swift to hear. When I was growing up, my parents often reminded us uh, about the biblical instruction, children, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. And they did it when we were really little. Because by the time we were four or five, we knew exactly what that was and what we were supposed to do. And usually uh, after that, like if we were six or seven or eight and we had to be reminded of that, it came with a special reminder, <laughs> a special application of God's truth upon the backside, okay? Uh, when I was growing up, that's how it worked. Uh, they believed that the, there was this thing in the book of Proverbs called the rod, and uh, that you're supposed to not spare that if you loved your child. And I'd say, Daddy, don't love me so much. Stop loving me. Uh, but 
Be swift to hear. Now, here's what they also repeatedly explained to us, uh, what obedience means. It meant three things. Obey right away, obey all the way, and obey with the right attitude. Okay, so obedience is supposed to be immediate. Obedience is supposed to be complete. And obedience is supposed to be with the right attitude. And if any of those three is missing, then it doesn't meet God's definition of true obedience. Now, uh, this uh, needs to be applied to every generation. And parents, feel free to use those three. That's still obedience today, right? If you went and cleaned your room, but you did it with the wrong attitude, that's not true obedience, right? If you were told to take the garbage out and you didn't do it right away, that's not true obedience, right? So just go back and apply God's truth. Be swift to hear. Now, it also says, uh, <laughs> and some of you are going to remember that sentence this week, be swift to hear. You use it on your kids or possibly on your spouse who's listening from a different room in the house. Um, I, I don't know why that always is. I will walk out of the upstairs to go downstairs to get something, and right at that moment, my wife decides to tell me something. And so I'm like all the way down the stairs, like, what? And I turn back around, and she's talking. I have no idea what she says, right? And either I'm losing my hearing, or she's losing her sense of someone leaving the room, like, I'm not there anymore. I don't know what you're saying, so I'll go back up the stairs. What would you say? Oh, I was talking to you. Yeah, I know. Oh, well, it was nothing. So then I start walking off. I get down to the bottom of the stairs, and all of a sudden I hear words again. I don't know what they are, but I hear them. I'm trying to listen, but it's just not working. So be swift to hear. Now, be slow to speak. Be slow to speak. And your grandma probably told you this. God gave you two, two ears and one mouth for a reason. Right? You can't listen while you're talking. There are all sorts of cliches on this one. Uh, some people are constantly ready to offer their opinion. Even about things they don't really understand. And so God says, be slow to speak. Now, have you ever met somebody who has a very high opinion of his own opinion? Right? I remember somebody from an older generation than mine once told me, if you'd shut up for a while, you might learn something, right? And actually, that makes a whole lot of sense. Uh, if you just kind of be quiet, and actually, when I was growing up, and I don't know if it's still a thing or not, but children were meant to be seen and not heard, right? If you're in a room of adults, you didn't get to talk because the adults were talking, and now we've trained kids, if you've got something to say, Johnny, you just go ahead and say it. And we're teaching them that his opinion is more important than truth. And then we end up with these flakes that live in our society who, they're called snowflakes, literally, right? Who crumble at any sign of actual truth because he didn't get to give his opinion about the matter. Can I just tell you this? And I, I kind of got off script here, but God's truth is true, and it doesn't matter what your opinion is. We just got to take opinion out of the equation. All truth is God's truth. There's no truth without God. Stick that in your opinion pipe. All right. 
<laughs> the next one, ironically, is be slow to wrath. <laughs> be slow to wrath, right? Don't get mad at people who disagree with your all-important opinions. And, and don't get mad at God for molding you to be like Jesus. Why? Well, verse 20 has the answer, and we quoted it, for the wrath of man works not the righteousness of God. And that's profound. Now, you remember God called Jonah to go to Nineveh. And Brother Sidney actually did not do Jonah. He did Noah and Daniel. But Jonah is the guy who got swallowed by the big fish. And God called him to go to Nineveh. And Jonah said, I don't feel led to go there right now. You know, it's just not something I feel led to do. So he bought a ticket for the destination furthest from Nineveh. He ended up in the belly of a great fish for three days. Then God called him again to go to Nineveh. He was spit out on the beach, covered in seaweed. He made the three-day journey in one day, entered the city, preached an eight-word message, and 120,000 people repented. Right? He's the original Billy Graham. <laughs> of course, this made Jonah very angry. Right? All these Ninevites are putting on their sackcloth and dust on their head and bowing before God and weeping, and Jonah's ticked off. He didn't want the Ninevites to repent. He didn't want them to be spared. He hated them. And Jonah's the classic example of somebody who hates people that God loves. By the way, if you're a bigoted or racist in any way, that's exactly who you are. You hate somebody that God loves. That's ridiculous. Get, get on board with God's compassion. Now, he hated people that God loved. He's ticked off that God was merciful to them. You remember what God asked him? Doest thou well to be angry? It's like, Jonah, what good is it to get, to get angry at this? Is it going to change anything? Is it going to change your situation? Is it going to change what happens? I'm God. You're just a guy. Does it do you any good to get angry? And you probably, at some point in your life, had somebody ask you that. Is it doing you any good to get angry right now? And so the wrath of man works not the righteousness of God. You won't develop into a mature believer if you clutch anger and bitterness, no matter who it is against. And so God calls us to set aside our fleshly desires and our malice toward others, so that we might receive with meekness the engrafted word. And I love the beautiful word picture here, the engrafted word. And no, no matter what plant you were when Jesus found you, the word of God will attach to your life and change you to be more like Jesus. Now, during the trial, put on your listening ears, receive God's instruction for your life. Next, we move into this section from verse 22 to verse 25. Yeah, let's talk about remembering God's grace. He said, be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. And so, yes, we're to receive God's word, but this verse reminds us that hearing the instructions isn't enough. To be participants in God's plan, we must do in every generation of Christianity since the first century, there have been more hearers than there are doers. 
And unfortunately, this is always the case. Yeah, many people are willing to be surface Christians, but few people are willing to be Christians to the core. And according to the passage, two things always happen to surface Christians. The hearers only crowd. Uh, first of all, they become self-righteous. And then they also become self-deceived into living for nothing. Basically, they waste their lives on things that don't matter. And here's what James is saying. When you don't ever practice what God preaches to you, you forget that you are in God's development process. You forget that you're saved from death and condemnation. You start to feel like you deserve God's grace. And this is where self-deceit and self-righteousness collide with each other. Uh, a doer is constantly applying the lessons that God delivers to him or her. But a hearer only lets the lessons go in one ear and out the other. Hearers only don't ever move the gospel around the world or to the next generation because they have a hollow Christianity. There's no authentic relationship with God. It's just a check-the-box, empty religious mindset, putting on a performance to please somebody or maybe some sense of duty. It's half-hearted, casual, complacent. Uh, involvement never rises above the level of co convenience. And hearers only don't pass on a passionate Christian faith because they've never experienced a James 1 type of faith. Now, the, her the heroes of the faith in the New Testament and in every generation since, have experienced the trying of their faith. They've received the lessons God's teaching them, and they're actively doing. And this chapter is so convicting, and it gets even more convicting in the last two verses. Look at verse 26 again. If any man among you seem to be religious, and bridleth not his tongue, but deceiveth his own heart, this man's religion is vain. Pure religion and undefiled before the God and the Father is this, to visit the fathers and widows in their affliction and to keep himself unspotted from the world. And when I read those verses, it just always makes me say, ouch. Those verses sting. At one point or another, we all fit into verse 26. And we completely miss verse 27. At one point or another, we all strive for the outward appearance of being religious. But we don't measure up to the pure religion of our Heavenly Father. And appearing outwardly religious might support you in the short term. But God says long term, it's worthless. It makes no impact on you or anyone else. Nobody else wants what you have because your religion is empty. But the believer who has counted all joy, who's received the word, who's doing what he's heard, will be a delivery system for God's mercy. And there's nothing closer to the heart of God than helping the helpless. Blessing people who can't afford anything in return. If you're looking for the heart of Christianity, head for widow and orphan territory. Right? If you want to find the compassion Jesus displayed so powerfully, think of his words. Suffer the little children to come unto me, and forbid them not, for of such is the kingdom of God. 
And ministering to children is the grassroots of pure religion. And look, common sense says that if we aren't ministering the gospel to the children at our own houses, there's no way we're going to go visit orphans with the gospel. Because ministry always starts where you are. Now, I want to make this very practical for our church body this morning. The greatest investment we can make for Christ is in children. But so often in the modern age, we spend a lot of our time and energy and resources placating and pampering adults. Uh, Ministry schedules and budgets are often guided by the needs of adults, many of whom have already been Christians for decades. And to be doers of the word, we're going to have to take God's instructions seriously. Invest in the children. Pour into the children. Raise up a generation of warriors for Christ, not another generation of wimps. But to do that, it's going to cost us time, effort, and resources. We have to model a Christianity that's worth having and show forth a Jesus who's worth serving. Otherwise, the next generation walks away. Here only Christianity is such a joke that teens and young adults want no part of it. Sunday school that's good enough for my kids but not necessary for me is the kind that gets gets taught but it's never caught. And I promise you that real Christianity always starts at home. In 28 years of full-time ministry, I have seen hundreds of kids grow up in church and then walk away from God Because there was Christianity at church, but not at home. And I want to offer you some hope this morning. I believe we can do something uh, starting today to make a difference, to to change course, to refresh and restart. And next Sunday is the last Sunday in May. And we have some dedicated children's ministry people uh, who are finishing out their teaching terms for the year. And so we're short on summer ministers. Now, I had someone uh, who's authentically concerned uh, about our Sunday school setup to offer me an idea that maybe we should just take a summer break on children's Sunday school and then reboot in the fall. And I said, well, I'll consider it. Well, on Monday night of this past week, uh, God woke me up in the middle of the night and I never went back to sleep. And Hebrews 10.25 just kept going through my mind. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more, as you see the day approaching. And God pricked my heart that we can't treat Christianity like some seasonal activity. He didn't call us to do less, he called us to do so much the more. Not less, more. Never less, more. Again and again, it just kept going through my mind. And if we model uh, a seasonal Christianity to kids, we're putting biblical living on the same level as a soccer season or a t-ball season. We're actually inadvertently teaching a casual Christianity to our kids. We're teaching them wimp Christianity. And God basically spoke to my heart and said, don't give an inch on this issue. Don't move away from teaching kids truth every Sunday of every week. 
even if you have to leave the pampered adults and go teach them yourself. And I didn't like that part when God kept pressing that button. Uh, but in the New Testament, specifically in Romans 12, 2 Corinthians 12, and Ephesians 4, we find that the church is a body that functions together. And I believe we have a healthy, functioning body here uh, that can and should and will meet this need together. The local church is the hope of the world. The local church is not some seasonal class that people can take or leave. Okay, the local church is not some group that gets together uh, just so that we can say we were here. We are life changers and world changers through the spirit of Jesus Christ. And so according to God's word and God's direction in my life, I'm drawing a line in the sand on this issue, and we are not backing down on children's Sunday school. By the way, uh, we aren't backing down on adult Sunday school either. If your kid needs the word, you need it too. You never grow out of needing God's word in your life. Can I get an amen? Now, thankfully, I never do that. I just felt like I should do that today. Now, thankfully, along with the lesson on standing firm, I believe that the Lord has also given us a format where this entire body of believers can serve together during these summer months. Uh, from June through August, we're going to have a summer kids club for four-year-olds through preteens. Every Sunday morning from 9.30 to 10.45, okay, so during their first hour, and a little longer. Uh, it'll be a little like a vacation Bible school format where lots of people can be involved doing lots of different things, according to your gifting, your ability, your experiences, your resources, and the pressure won't be on just a couple of people. Uh, this year, this summer, it's going to be called Around the World. And we're going to visit 12 different countries where we have missionaries or mission projects. And every week we'll have a, a video from a missionary or a slideshow about a country or a video from kids in that country, music from that country, maybe some snacks from certain places, along with missionary stories and object lessons and memory verses and an offering for orphans every week. And maybe an occasional craft project or puppet show or skit, and we're going to go all out to make this a special summer in the formation of young lives, and I know the kids will want to invite their friends to come and be a part. Uh, to do this, though, we're going to need help, lots of short-term help, and yes, I'm talking about you. Oh, and I'm talking about you, too, and I do realize that summer is a time when people take a vacation or go on a camping trip, and that's great. Uh, I rejoice when you get to take a vacation, because I want you to rejoice when I get to take one. But I'm going to ask you to help at least one week out of the 13 weeks. Okay? Everybody can do that. Now, some of you will be able to help a couple different weeks or spread a few over the summer. Possibly, God's speaking right now to two or three people in this whole group, two or three, that will be the stability to be there every week of the whole campaign. And right now, the ushers are coming in, and they're going to hand you a basic schedule of which country we're going to cover each week. And as you look at that paper, you'll see uh, we're going to start June 5th with Ukraine, and then June 12th, we're going to go to Congo, 
and I'm going to give a live greeting from Congo to all the kids who are there. Uh, from the streets of the Congo. Uh, June 19th, we're going to Mexico. June 26th, we're going to go over to a brand new church building in, where they're building right now in Dominican Republic. July 3rd is USA. July 10th is China. July 17th, Thailand. July 24th, Uganda. Uh, later in the summer, we're going to the Philippines, India, Australia, and the island of Vanuatu. And then we're going to end the summer with a black, uh, block party. Uh, now, you're going to see on this paper some of the roles that need to be filled, uh, some of the resources that need to be offered, along with a place for your name and phone number, and then how often you'll be able to participate in the most important thing you could possibly do this summer, invest in bringing little children to God. Now, this might require not sleeping in late for a couple weeks. It might require you giving up a coffee run for a couple weeks. It may require you messing with your morning routine for a couple weeks or even missing your own Sunday school class. But you're going to partner with other Christians, maybe with people from your small group, maybe with people you've never really gotten to know before, all for his kingdom and his glory. And notice some of the things you can mark here. And as I said, this could be one week, two weeks, three weeks, or the whole campaign. Uh, you could do master of ceremonies. That means you'll be present to run the club for a week. You'll be the MC. Uh, you'll be in charge of keeping things on schedule for the week. And then we got organizer in chief. That means you'll make the schedule uh, that goes with the weekly format, notify all the team members of their roles. Uh, the missionary coordinator. You get to interface with a missionary to get the photos or videos or information from another country. Some countries, you might even be able to set up a, a Zoom or a FaceTime live. A worship coordinator, you'll choose the songs for a particular week that fit the time frame. Worship team, you'll get up and sing a worship song with kids, either with a streaming video or you can be brave and do it the old-fashioned way and lead with your voice. A craft coordinator, a couple of the weeks we'll have crafts and you can organize the craft and get all the supplies and Craft team member, and you'll help kids do a craft. You can help teach a missionary story. You can help put slideshows together. You can click a button on a keyboard to advance a slideshow. You can come up with an object lesson. You can teach an object lesson. Uh, some weeks will break kids into a few different small groups. You could lead a group of four or five kids. And you can find the creative ways to help kids learn the memory verse for the week. You could write a skit and perform with some other people. You could write a puppet show and gather a couple puppeteers to help you. You can help the kids take the offering for orphans. You can donate snacks. You can help during snack time. You can teach a Bible lesson. You could just be on the support team where you greet the kids and interact with them and sit with them. Now, maybe you can't do anything I've said so far. Now, I highly doubt it, but maybe you can't. Uh, but if not... You could be a prayer warrior. I would love to see a room where we have people praying from 9.30 to 10.45 every Sunday because none of this goes anywhere without God's power. And the enemy is going to fight tooth and nail against kids because kids, Jesus wants them to be conformed into his image and the world wants them to be conformed to their image. Look, 
if the body of Christ comes together on this, it'll be a time for the Holy Spirit to do amazing things through us. I truly believe that God wants us all to be a part. Middle school students can be a part. Teens can be a part. Couples can be a part. Senior saints can be a part. Groups can be a part. And if the body works together, this will not be put on the backs of just one or two people. We will have a church-wide event that we do together. And on the final Sunday of the campaign, we'll have Celebration Sunday. On that day, we'll need many extra hands, setting up jump houses, grilling hot dogs and burgers and bacon cookies and all sorts of other things. We'll have a different list for that week as we get closer to the end of the summer. That's not on this sheet. Today, what I want you to do is just mark one or two ways that you could help on a normal Sunday and then mark how often you can help. Uh, from that point, we'll build a schedule for the campaign. And if you have a certain week or weeks you'd really like to serve, maybe a country where you've been or one you're really interested in, you can circle that week or those weeks on your sheet and we'll do our best to schedule it that way. Now, one final note. If you'll be serving with children and you've never completed one of our simple background checks, please mark on there if you're willing to have that done. We take the safety of kids very seriously. If you have any questions on anything at all, I'm going to be in the lobby to answer your questions. And once you've had a chance to fill this paper out, you can fold it in half, and the ushers are going to be standing in the back to receive this after the closing prayer. Right now, let's bring this all before God. God, we thank you that you have called us to be doers and not hearers only. And we believe as a church body that this is something that we can all be a part of, that we can all invest in, that we can all rejoice in, and see what you've done, because you will do great things through your body if we use our spiritual gifts, if we use the time and resources you've given us. And otherwise, we waste it. It's gone. And uh, Lord, I pray that you'd protect us from wasting our lives. Help us to use our lives for your glory. And Lord, we know that pure religion starts with caring for kids and for orphans and for widows. And I pray that you'd give us hearts toward people who are in the helpless category and that you'd help us to serve them willingly and boldly. Guide us now in these days to come and we ask it in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, everybody. Have a great Sunday. Yeah.